We want to be a church that's actively a part of sending, wherever that means, whether that means we're sending kids to college or we're, we're watching folks walk into new chapters of their life, we want to be a part of that. We're actually in a couple of weeks going to be talking about, um, about that move of, of, of sending, of being a church that goes. So each year, really in the fall, we take a little bit of a break, we take a little bit of a pause from whatever series we're in, and we, we stop and we talk about what the church that we want to be a part of looks like, what our vision is for that next year. This past year, we kind of, kind of bumped that pause a little bit because we focused on uh, what it would be like to build at the back, and we talked this series called The One Campaign to try and get the back of our building built up for all of our growth. So this little pause sort of got push down the road a little bit, right? But, but it's important nonetheless. It's important nonetheless for us to gather and, and, and take a moment or a few weeks and say, what is the church that we feel called to be? Uh, what does it really look like? And what is our vision and heartbeat for 2019? And we talk about how we want to be great stewards of the resources that God has given us, not just the financial ones, but of the hearts and talents and names and people that God has brought into this place, that we want to be great stewards of those things. And then as individuals, we want to be great stewards of the things that God has given us, of our own resources. If I give my, my resources to this church, do I trust that God is big enough to do amazing things with them? Do I release my things, quote, my things to the Lord, right? And we've talked at length in here all the years about the coming to the understanding that, that my stuff and my life, it all belongs to the Lord. Anyway, how do we kind of release control of that and trust Jesus with our resources, with our time, with our hearts? And so we're going to take a little bit of a pause, and we're going to spend three weeks kind of exploring some of the ideas that we see in Scripture that are built around how we live together as a community and what we want to do and be about in 2019 as we start thinking about sort of the years ahead and how we want to steward and use God's resources. And I know those of you that have been um, coming for some time are like, yeah, we do this each year. It's kind of great. Those of you here for the first time are going, he's setting us up, man. I know he is. Dude's going to talk about money. I know it. That dude is going to tell me that we have got to give money, right? The truth is, that's not, not quite how it's going to unfold. I'm actually not going to talk about money at all today. But that is kind of what this is geared around, is that we want you to be able to believe enough in the community you're a part of to say, God, I want to support this community with my resources. What they do, what they believe in are things that, that I believe are of you. And I trust you, Lord. And so as a family, we want to give our resources to this community. And so we want to unpack some of these things for you. But here's the truth, okay? So as we're, here's the truth. It's not a conspiracy. We very rarely talk about money. We're not even really talking about money today. But here is the truth. This church does not want one single dollar of your money. I just, we just don't. I believe that God will support us with your dollar or without it. So we don't want it. What we want first and foremost is for you to give your life wholeheartedly to Jesus. Most of us have had some kind of bad experience with the church and with money. I've certainly had mine. Most of us had some kind of jaded experience with a guy on TV or with our own church history growing up or with whatever. And so we all bring our own baggage to this conversation anyway. So my desire is not to have you open your checkbook and give the church money. My desire is to have you completely open your heartbeat to Jesus. And then if God compels you to support your community, then great. And if he doesn't, then that's fine too, because we will follow the Lord with or without those dollars. We're not concerned about it, truthfully. And I say that for the very first person sitting here, for the person sitting here for the very first time, or for the person that's been here for seven years. These are not new statements. But I do think we all need to come to grips with the understanding that my stuff and my life actually belong to the Lord. And if I truly trust Jesus, I'm willing to trust him with my, my things, my resources, my dollars, my children. You know, as we pray over James, are the foxes willing to trust Jesus with their kids? We've all have those questions. And it boils down to, do I really trust the Lord? 
And so as we unpack some of these things, we're going to do it in this little series that I've called um, With All of Me or All of Me, because we're going to explore our approach as a church from a biblical standpoint, and then I'm going to give you some vision points for 2019. And our approach to it as a church, you've gone through a member class, know that we have a mission statement and we have an approach. Our mission statement or our mission essentially is that we want to love much and love well as we take the gospel to the one, the city, and the world. Right, so that's our entire mission as a church. It's made up of six parts. I won't work through it all right now, but love much and love well as we take the gospel to the one into the city and the world. How do we do that as a community? We call that our approach. It's really simple, right? We want to love God. We want to love people. And we want to follow Jesus. It's not new, right? That's, most churches have some version of that idea because it comes out of a piece of text that we're going to look at today, Matthew 22. That we're called to love the Lord first and love people second. And then our definition of that is that we want to do that by following in the footsteps of Christ. So over the next three weeks, we're going to explore these pieces, love God, love people, follow Jesus, and talk about the church that we believe we're called to be. Because there's some very distinct things that I think God is leading us into. And I want you to know that the community that you're a part of, the church you're a part of, has a heartbeat and a vision for what they believe that God is doing. And so I want to share some of those things with you this morning. So we're going to look at this through the lens of this idea of what would it look like to give all of me to the Lord and to my community, all of my, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, right? We're going to explore those pieces this morning, and then I'm going to lay out some visions for 2019. So that's just kind of where, where we're going. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to visit those verses where our approach actually comes from. Hopefully it won't be new to you. Hopefully you've heard this before or you recognize this before, but we're going to explore where this idea comes from of what it truly means to love God. What do we mean by that, both as individuals? What do we mean by that as a community? And what does it mean to make God or to have God be our first love, our first love? So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to explore that together after we ask the Lord to open our hearts. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for um, this church community. God, I thank you that you are a God who is so faithful. I thank you that, God, you, over the past seven years, you have never left us nor forsaken us. You have met every single need this church has ever had, ever desired. You have gone before us. Lord, you have made up for our giant mistakes. You have done things that I feel like are unfathomable or imaginable. And God, you have been so, so good. And so, Lord, we just trust you. We trust you with our lives, with our children, with our money, with our things, with our delicate hearts. We don't always trust you well, Lord, but we trust you. And so, Lord, as we open this text today, what I pray that we'd come in contact with is how do we really answer this question? What is my first love? Truthfully, unashamed, just kind of being honest with everybody, what is my true first love? And, Lord, if it's not you, how do I reorient my heart so that you are the love of my life? So, Lord, we ask that you would take your word and you would teach us this morning and that you would instill in us a passion both as individuals and as a church family to fall in love with you all over again. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Whatever that needs to be or be said, just ask the Lord to teach your heart. Lord, I pray that you would take some of our preconceived ideas and notions about love or about church and just sort of turn them upside down. And Lord, let us 
fall head over heels in love with the God that made us. As we examine your word, I pray that you would teach our hearts, that you would instruct us, and that you would empower us. And we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So really this morning, this isn't so much a, a, a message or an exploration about resources or about money or about time or about any of those things. It's really about where our first love falls. And for me personally, this is where the entire conversation about trusting Jesus actually begins. It begins with what is my first love. So we're at the end of Matthew chapter 22, and for the kind of three previous sections in this text, the religious leaders, mainly the Sadducees, are trying to trap Jesus. Jesus is a real threat to their way of life. He's a threat to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'll explain more about those folks in a minute. He's a threat to their way of life, and they're trying to trap him. They've tried to physically seize him. We learned that in our study of the Gospel of John. They can't. So they figure they can trap him verbally. If we could trap Jesus verbally, we can get him to blasphemy or say something against the law, and then we'll be able to arrest him and get rid of him. And they're doing everything they can. And the Sadducees have failed, and so the Pharisees are going to try. And this is what they say in verse 22, 34. We'll go down through 40. <clears throat> Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, this shouldn't be new, and you should absolutely see where our approach to life jumps off the page. Love God, love people. Right there, evidenced perfectly in Jesus' response. But this is kind of what's unfolding. The Sadducees had tried to trick Jesus. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they made up the Jewish ruling council, right? If you've been here for any time, you've probably heard me talk about this before. But the Pharisees and Sadducees made up the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. They were sort of the religious leaders of the entire nation, both politically and religiously, of Israel. Now, the Sadducees were an aristocratic class. They were much more well-off than everybody else. They were born from the right families. They usually had a lot of money, and they held the majority of the positions on the Sanhedrin, including the chief priests and the high priests. Those were the Sadducees. The Pharisees were more of like a working man's religious leader, right? They were usually middle class. They were highly educated, but they were not quite an aristocratic level, and they were more like the lawyers of the group. They were the people that had studied the law, they knew the law back and forth, and they were very practical in their understanding of it, right? And there were a couple of major differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They actually believed that when you died, that was it. Right? The Pharisees didn't believe that at all. They believed there was an afterlife. They believed there was a, a resurrection of the dead. They believed in a heaven. They believed in a hell. They were a very different kind of mindset than the uh, Sadducees. The Pharisees also believed that in addition to the word of God, the written word of God, the law, the prophets, all those kind of things, was the oral tradition. And the oral tradition was the laws that were handed down that explained the Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law was don't work on the Sabbath. Then the oral tradition was all the pieces underneath that that explained what work meant. Tie this kind of knot, not that kind of knot. Tie up your donkey, but not your ox. You can take this many steps without that many steps. And they believed that those oral traditions that they kept and that they knew so well were on equal par with the Word of God. Sadducees didn't believe it at all. They believed in only the written Word of God. What that means is that these two groups fought constantly, constantly. They just were always, always, always at each other's throats because the things they believed were like massive. 
right? Sadducees believe there's no resurrection. Pharisees believe there is one. That's a pretty big doctrinal kind of break, right? The Pharisees believe that their oral tradition was the same as the word of God, and the Sadducees believe that that was garbage. Pretty big break. So they fought all the time. Well, the Sadducees hated Jesus as much as the Pharisees did because he was a threat to their way of life. He was a radical. The people were following him, and they were getting support, and they couldn't stand it. And so the Sadducees tried to silence Jesus by tricking him, and it didn't work. So the Pharisees get together, and they're like, yeah, you guys can't do it. We can. In fact, we're kind of better than you, and so we will do it if you can't do it. And so they huddle together. It says the Pharisees got together, right? When they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. So they got a lawyer in the real truest sense of the term. And they got him together, and he was a smart guy, and they were all gathered around. He knows his stuff, and he goes, I've got it. I've got the question that will trap Jesus. And it was actually a debate they've all had amongst themselves for centuries and centuries, which is which is the greatest commandment. They argue about it all the time. And it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. They're talking about the entire Mosaic Law, which is 613 commandments. And the debate was, could one be above the other? And if Jesus chose one over the other, then he was showing favor to the law and then they could trap him. It was just a ridiculous kind of loaded question, right? And they figured that whichever one he would say, they would be able to pounce on and basically say, see, by doing this, you reject this or whatever. And so it was just a loaded kind of trick question. And so Jesus, of course, answers without even being phased without even almost caring at all. It's almost as if he just immediately spouts it off. And he, he replies with, Well, sort of not really a commandment, but part of a commandment that he adds two together and creates his own thing, right? So it's really this incredibly beautiful kind of rebuke response to their question. He says this, this is the greatest commandment. Jesus replies, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is actually like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, neither of these are actually really Mosaic commands. The first one is actually a a version of the Shema, which comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a liturgical prayer that the Israelites recited and was part of their sort of deep kind of lexicon of beliefs, right? And it started off, hear, O Israel, or listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and mind and strength. So the Shema. Jesus takes a portion of that. The Shema actually is the Hebrew word that kind of points us to the idea of listen or hear, O hear, O Israel. So Jesus takes a portion of that changes the words a little bit, and says essentially this. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And then, kind of trumping the lawyer that asked the question, he goes, you asked about the first one, let me give you the second one, even though you didn't ask for it. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is actually kind of a version of Leviticus 19, which basically says, don't have revenge on your neighbor or try and rebuke their evil for evil, but love them as yourself. So essentially, Jesus takes these two things, and he morphs them together, and he says, you want the first one, love the Lord with everything that you are. You want the second one, love people as you love yourself. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, think about this, they love themselves the most. So Jesus basically says, love other people, because they thought they were great. They were more religious than the rest of the world. Love people like you love you. Now, if you think about those two things for a minute, it's really a powerful kind of statement. In fact, it's so powerful that it says that, he says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So everything that you're trying to test me hangs on these two. 
All right, so this shouldn't be new, right? We've heard those things before. But what does it mean for us, right? So we've built our approach around this idea of love God, love people, which comes directly, obviously, out of Matthew chapter 22. But the bigger question is, what does it really mean? And we're going to look at the second one next week, but let's look at the first one today. What does it truly mean to love God? What does it mean to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind? How is that the first and greatest commandment? How does that transfer around in our life? And the only way that I can frame it in my own mind to think about is what is my first love? If it's the greatest commandment of all the commandments in Scripture, the 613 Mosaic, all the things that Jesus teaches, you put all those into one giant ball of Scripture or graphe in, in, in the Bible, the greatest of all of those, right, is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. In other words, the Lord would be our first love. And I truly mean that when I say first love, meaning above your husband, above your wife, above your children, above your job, above whatever it is that you have out there, mom or dad or whatever earthly love that you know that Jesus has called, and I'm going to use Jesus and the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit interchangeably, we're talking about the same God, that Jesus is our first love above all of those things. What does that truly mean? If I were to glance at your life or ask you the question, is the Lord your, tr your true first love? Now, really to understand this, we have to understand that <clears throat> we only know love because of the Lord. Like our broken understanding of love is, is, is framed in earthly sort of shattered relationships. But the idea that we understand love at all, First John says, is because he loved us first. So our only reference for true, real love is that God showed us what it looks like. It says that he loved us first. Before we could love him, he loved us, and his love was a demonstrated love. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son to become the sacrifice for our sin. That while we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us. This is what love looks like. It's sacrificial, and it's costly. Our understanding of love is only framed in understanding of what God did for us. Other than that, it's broken. But he gave us this incredible demonstration of what love looks like. This costly, demonstrated, sacrificial love. And then he says the command that we have is that we are called to love our God in that same sacrificial costly demonstrated way that our first love is wrapped up in that tangible demonstration of what God showed us. And when I begin to think about love framed like that, I realize how absolutely short I fall when it comes to truly being able to love the Lord my God with all of my heart and soul and mind, with every fabric and capacity of my being, right? And I begin to look at my life and I say, I can easily say that the Lord is my first love. But what's evidenced in my life is oftentimes the opposite. So when I frame it like that, I start to think about this. So Meredith, my wife, is, she is my, the, the, the sort of my deepest and dearest first love, earthly first love. For 25 years, I have been infatuated with her, right? I would hope that if you came to our home and you dug through our stuff, and you went through our house, you would find evidence of that. You would find pictures, or you would find letters that we wrote when we were in college because we we're old. We had to write letters. Like real letters, like with pens. <laughs> Email didn't exist until like our junior year. <laughs> I'm super old, man. 
you would find evidence for that. That you would hear stories. It's not a perfect love, right? It's not excellent. It's not great, but it's there. It's demonstrated that you would hear stories from either our kids or from people that we would know that would say, man, he loved her. That at my funeral, when I die, the question of did he love his wife, that it wouldn't be met with silence. That somehow if you rooted around in my life, you might find and hopefully would find evidence of this deep, real love. She's my second love. So if you root around and dig in my life, do you find evidence of my first? And I'm really ashamed to tell you that it's a lot harder to find evidence of my first love than it is of my second. But how much more should our first love be jumping off the page? How much more should the love that we have for the Lord be coming clean off the page with all of our heart and our soul and our mind than our earthly loves? Our earthly loves are visual and demonstrated, but for most of us, our first love is either buried or finding evidence for that is non-existent. I'm not trying to tell you, don't hear me that I'm saying, okay, we're going to love God and then therefore we have to do things that show it. But I'm trying to make a point that says that if what God is truly our first love, it should be visible and evidenced in our life as individuals and as a community. You shouldn't be able to hide it and you shouldn't have to look for it. If it's true the thing that matters the most to you, then you should, it should bleed through who you are, that people should be telling stories, that there should be evidence riddled all over your life for your first love. And I am truthfully ashamed that I think you'd have to do some digging to really find evidence that I loved anything other than myself and other things of this world. The truth is, I want to be a church. I actually want to be an individual first, and then I want to be a church that is marked by its first love. Look, I don't know much about those folks over there, but they love the Lord. Look, I don't know much about Treb's details. I, you know, here's the, the, about his life, but I know that he loved the Lord. That would be my deepest sort of desire. But we live in a culture that's completely opposite of that, right? What do we want people to know about us? What if I scrolled through your Instagram feed, your Facebook feed? What do I know about you? I know what you want me to know, which is very seldom things that matter, right? I maybe know where you took a vacation and how beautiful and perfect your children are, how no one ever cries in your family. And every once in a while, we'll come across a, you know, a Bible verse about eagles and the mountains, But the truth is, is that we're built around demonstrating to people our earthly first loves. Not terrible. But if we're called to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, why does that not come through every single breath that we take? Why is it not evidenced in how I love my wife or my children? Why is it not evidenced in how I treat people, how I speak about things? Why is that evidenced in the way I talk about politics? Reconciliation. Why is it not evidenced in the language that I use? Or the things I put in my body or my mind? If Jesus really is my first love, true first, all heart, soul, and mind love, then it should be evidenced in everything that I do. I'm not saying you talk about Jesus all the time. I'm just saying that it becomes evidenced that you love something wholly different. Look, there are a lot of churches, and they're all probably really great churches. 
But are they all evidenced by their first love? I don't know. A lot of them are evidenced by their buildings, by their spaces, by their programs. Not terrible things. I want to be evidenced by our first love. I want people to walk in here on a Sunday morning for the very time and walk out and go, they aren't much. <laughs> they love the Lord. That to me would be the church I want to be a part of. It's not the fastest way to grow a church in the universe, but it's true. <clears throat> I can unpack all those pieces, heart, strength, mind, and what they mean, but I think you get the idea. As I think about the year ahead, I've got three ideas that I really want to kind of put out there in terms of our heart and vision. I'm going to put one out today, one out next week, and another one out. And they're all built around words. But you have to understand them in light of these things that we're studying. So you have to understand them in light of our first love. Because without that, they don't, they don't hold water and they don't matter. So you have to understand it in light of the fact that I believe everything is in the shadow of this idea that God is supposed to be our first love. Both your individual first love, the first love of your family, and the first love of this church. And the first kind of vision thing that I want to put out there is I just want you to understand that 2019, I want to be about depth. Depth is the word. And there's three pieces to this I want you to understand. I'm going to go through them really quickly. <clears throat> One, we want to be about depth uh, in, in sort of our knowledge of God's word. So we want to push for growth and depth in terms of how much we love and know God's word. This should not be surprising to you. This is how we teach. It's what we care about. Brandon spent the entire last Sunday sermon talking about getting into God's word. <clears throat> he even made these little flyers that say, what does it say, Brandon? Get, hold me tight or something? I don't remember. Put me in your Bible. It probably doesn't say hold me tight. That's different. <laughs> I mean, you can hold him tight if you want to. <laughs> so it's back there. It's a little pamphlet that goes in your Bible. Teaches you how to study God's word. It's like three little sections. He printed them off and put them out there. It should be a surprise to you that we want you to grow in your knowledge of God's word. I do not care if you come in here on Sunday morning and think I said a lot of great things or bad things. I don't care if what I say is tweetable or not. I want you to know God's word. I want you to have a love affair with the word of God because I believe it. an encounter with God's word is an encounter with God. I want you to know it. I want you to love it. And I want it to change you. And in 2019, we're gonna open up some opportunities to study the word together, pray through the word together, to grow in depth together more Bible study opportunities, or just more times to pray together, or as a church, we're just going to pull out God's word and make sure that we're going deeper, studying it at length and knowing it outside of just what unfolds on Sunday morning. We want to grow in depth the knowledge of God's word. We also want to, we want to grow in depth of relationships, both, in G, both to Jesus and to each other. So we want you to get deeper with the Lord. <clears throat> this is not a church that's got a desire for you to just show up. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to have a relationship with him that affects everything. We want you to fall in love with him. We want it to change the way you treat people. We want your relationship with Christ to change the way you love your spouse or your children or the way you go to school or the way that you think about the world or finances or the way you think about people in poverty or other countries or mission. We want it to affect everything. We want you to grow in your relationship with Christ deeper. We also want you to grow in depth in your relationships with people. I do not want this to be a church where you can go and hide, and I know that freaks everybody out, right? But I don't. I want you to know and be known. <clears throat> now, it doesn't mean you have to walk in here and air your kind of deepest secrets or we're going to have a big airing of grievances or whatever. Like, we're not doing any of that. But I want you to know and be known. I don't want you to be able to slip in the back more than once and then slip out. 
I want people to know you, and I want you to exist in a place where they matter to you. We want to grow in depth of relationships, and that means that on some level, you've got to be a little vulnerable. You've got to introduce yourself to people or, or step out and attend a Bible study or a life group or, or ask somebody after church if they want to go eat with you and your family. Like You have to put your heart out there a little bit. We want you to grow in relationships. We want the people here to matter to you, and we want you to matter to them. And so in 2019, we're going to be pushing for more opportunities for you to get your life mixed up in the lives of other people. So we want you to grow in, in, in depth of relationships, depth of knowledge of the Word of God, and we want you to grow in depth of involvement. Look, I'll tell you a lot of things about this church, <clears throat> but one of the things that I will tell you that I really mean is that we need you. Like, this is not a place where you can go and just be entertained. This is not a play that you go to where you buy a ticket and you come up and you see a good show and then you can leave on Sunday and come back for the next act the next week. Everything that happens in this little community is because somebody in the community made it happen. The reason we have chairs is because somebody actually saw the crappy ones we had and bought us new ones. The reason we have donuts is somebody picks them up every single Sunday. Different folks pick them up and bring them out for you. The reason we have coffee is somebody comes up here and make it. The reason we teach our children is that we don't pay people. We don't have the resources. We have people in our church that love kids, and they teach them. Our own members teach our Bible studies. They lead worship. Everything that unfolds here is because somebody decided that it mattered to them. We have a little community, and every single little piece matters, and so we need you. We need you to invite people. Our marketing department is the worst. <laughs> They're terrible. We need you to invite people if you care about the church you go to. We want your depth of involvement to be more than to walk in here on a Sunday morning and sit. Sure, we love it that that's what you can do, but at some point in time, we want you to get lost in this community. We want it to matter enough, not just where you serve and work, but where you just, maybe your deal is you just want to help us start a prayer group, or you want to you know, do something. Like, we just want you to be involved because that's why this church functions. And in 2019, we want your depth of involvement to increase. And I'm not saying you've got to do a bunch of stuff. I'm just saying you got to put your heart in here. We are not interested in becoming a church of attenders. That's not a church. There are thousands where you can just go and attend. We're not interested in becoming a place where you can go and get something and then leave empowered to face the week. I want you to go, come here and leave something. And maybe walk out of here a little less than when you came in because you gave a part of your heart to somebody else. This is not a, as I've heard somebody described, a, a church is not a gas station where we come in on empty and we get filled up and we leave. Truth is, when it comes to people, we just empty ourselves out all the time. The church literally is about not operating on our own fullness, but operating on the fullness and power of God, leaving ourselves empty and dying to self constantly. What if you came to church on Sunday morning and it wasn't about you? What if you came here because you wanted to just be available for somebody that walked in for the first time and you wanted to sit next to them and invite them to come spend lunch with your family? We've created a culture of consumers and takers with our Western church model that says, what do you have to offer me? And I'm looking at you saying, we don't have anything, so what do you have to offer us? 
Now, if you say nothing, then good. I say all that just to say, as we move through these pieces, we're going to be very intentional about creating these things this year. Opportunities to grow in depth of your knowledge of God's word. If, if, you're, if you're just starting out studying God's word, we're going to give you some opportunities to know it better. Brandon talked about memorizing scripture and knowing it. Those are things that matter to us. Every Sunday, we're going to be walking through scripture as we always do. Create opportunities outside of that. Monday nights, Tuesday mornings, all these places, Friday mornings with our our moms. Any place that we can, we're going to find time to pray through and open up God's word. We do not want you to wake up in 2020 and feel like you're in the same spiritual place that you were. We want you to grow in depth in your relationship with Christ. We want you to learn to trust him more, to release more of your fears and anxieties and worries and embrace the Lord. We want you to grow in depth of relationships with people. I don't want you to come in here and not know anybody and not be known. I don't want you to come in here and not allow your heart to be somewhat exposed to somebody. Whether that's getting involved in life groups or showing up here, we want you to open your heart up. It's what makes community community. It's hard to stand up here and tell everybody that my, my son is being deployed and, 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 and my wife and I are, are really excited, but we're really emotional. It's hard to put our lives out here like this, but that's what community looks like. And we want you to be involved in that picture. The church, if you look at the church in Acts, it was built around people that could count on each other. It was built around people that brought what they had to the common core and said, this is what we do together. It's not built around a picture that says, I'm going to find the biggest and the best, and I'm going to take what I can from that until I'm no longer happy, and then I'm going to find another one. It's built around a group of people that say, hey, look, we're broken, and we're battered, and we're bruised, but you know what we have? We have the same first love. So what I'm asking you today as you walk kind of out of here and we close our time in worship is simply this. What is your first love? What is our first love as a community? Is it evidenced in how you live and how we live together? And if not, it's time to reprioritize or reorient. It's time to say, Jesus, you get the best of me and the best of us. It's the first and greatest commandment that he would be our first love. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the next few weeks as we unpack these pieces together and explore what it really means to love you, to love people, and to follow Jesus. Lord, the truth is is that I don't really know. My life is a constant flux between the things that I want to be and the things that I really am. And without your grace, it would just be a mess. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us all measures of your grace that you would pour it out through it through it for us through our common love for christ and that god you would help us reorient our hearts as families and we ask ourselves what what's the first love of our family of my wife and or my husband our children or what's my what's my first love as our family unit is it jesus is that evidenced do my kids know that what's my first love as an individual is it the lord do my friends know that is it evidenced in the way i go to school or or how i work What's our first love as a church? Is it evidence in how we talk to people? What matters to us? What do people see when they see us? Or what do people see when they see me and my family? Do they see our first love? Or do they see a projection of self that we want to show them? 
I want to be a church where our first love bleeds through. I want to be a family and a person where our first love just bleeds through. Sort of uncontainable. Lord, I want to be marked by our love for you. Not a perfect love that we have for you, but a perfect love that was demonstrated for us. And so, Lord, we just come before you, knowing full well that we're just terrible, terrible reflections of that at times. But, God, we want to be marked by it. That we would love you, our Lord, with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. You are our first love, Lord. Help us live that truth out. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning.